0: I'm recording this on Valentine's Day, February the 14th, on a beautiful spring-like morning in the heart of the Netherlands, the beautiful city of Amersfoort. And I'm in a spring kind of mood today. Probably just the sun and the blue skies outside. Hope life is good wherever you live as well. Welcome to the show. And this episode is brought to you, as usual, by my uh, faithful... Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash father roderick and if you want to help and support me in the work that I do in the media then take a look at patreon.com slash father roderick and if you become a monthly sponsor of my work then I will give you access to a another podcast another weekly podcast that is recorded specifically for my patrons with lots of behind the scenes information and and random bits that I can't fit into this show do you know what's going on this is what's happening in your world They said Catholics rule we got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. I'm glad the weather, at least, is good because the rest of life is kind of... Huh? I don't know what to think about it. Um, it, yesterday, um, I went to see my mom, not at home but at the hospital. I got a, a an urgent phone call um, two days ago in the evening from my sister that my mom had been hospitalized uh, urgently uh, with. Heart problems, uh, which was kind of a shocker to every one of us. I n- know that my mom had a, a number of health issues. So has my dad. They're both 77 years old. So it's kind of the age uh, at which you can expect your body to basically start to, to show, show, show trouble, although that even depends on, on uh, what well, it, it varies between people. My mom had always been suffering for 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 many many years of short short shortness of breath. So she would easily get out of breath. Um, had to rest a lot of times. Even when when I was I was visiting um, China with her, and that's like six years ago. Um, whenever we would visit a place or or walk for uh, an extended uh, amount of time, she would get she would ha- have to rest. And so she always kind of blamed it on uh, her lungs kind of makes sense. You know, you feel out of breath and it's probably your lungs not functioning well. Um, And so uh, the doctor at one point thought it was COPD. They checked her heart. Her heart seemed to be fine. Well, it turns out that back then that diagnosis was, uh, uh, was only partial. The heart is good. The heart is fine. What they didn't check was the arteries. And that's where the problem uh, appears to be right now. So she's been uh, uh rushed to the hospital on on Wednesday evening, was it Wednesday? No, it was was Tuesday evening. Yeah. Kind of the days are a bit of a, a blur right now. Uh Tuesday evening with severe chest pains, with tingling hands, with all the symptoms of uh, an impending heart attack. Uh she was immediately examined um and they they discovered that actually there were like three main arteries that lead to the heart or are connected to the heart. Two of them were almost entirely clogged. Um, that is, and that is probably something that has been the case for many, many years, perhaps as long as 10 years. So, for 10 years, my mom has been feeling much worse than she actually should have been had it been discovered and had it been treated years ago. Well, anyway, I'm so glad that she's now at the hospital uh, this morning while I'm recording this. They're debating. The doctors are looking at the results of the examination, and there are basically two options. Uh, The first one is to declog the arteries and put in a stint or something like that. That is a minor procedure. I mean, it's still, I mean, everything has to do with the heart is kind of scary, Um, but but that is something that you can recover from uh, uh, relatively fast. The other option, if if the arteries, for whatever reason, um, uh, well, need other treatment or need to be replaced partially, and, you know, the older you get, the... the, the Sometimes the the weaker the arteries are, then we're talking about a bypass operation, and in her case, a double bypass oper- operation. That, of course, is a whole different ball game. So, if you have a moment to spare, um, I mean, I, I visited her yesterday, and she was in good spirits. She actually enjoyed being being spoiled a bit at the hospital. Everyone's taking care of her instead of she always taking care of other people. But then, of course, you know, it's, it's a whole different uh, situation when when there needs to be an operation and a bypass operation that is going to, um, well change a lot of things in her life and the life of my, my dad as well. And as kids, of course, we also will need to, uh, jump in. So, well, I hope that you will pray for her and for, for, uh, uh, for the best. That's what, what I've been doing. And in the meantime, well, life still goes on and we'll still have to do, we'll have to kind of make do and try to work around that. Um, Unfortunately, I'm not the only one. My sister is also there uh, today, or right, right now as we speak, and uh, so there were some friends also that, that will help us out. But uh, yeah, I guess with older parents, that is the that's what can happen. And I always realize that one day I'll, <laughs> if God wants it, I'll have that age too, and my I'll, I'll start to have all sorts of problems. Um, that that's unavoidable. or ultimately in the end all going to die oh, what a cheerful topic at the beginning of this valentine show <laughs> but but it's i mean our lives are finite and there is also a, a blessing in that uh, i mean th- th- that also gives our life a certain purpose a, a certain goal or the end goal of this life is not here on earth it's with god in heaven but in the meantime of course we we still we no, no one of us likes suffering likes to be ill um so it's a reminder when when I hear about these heart problems, I'm thinking ah, that's another uh, reason for me to f- to stay um, focused on my health. And doesn't mean that when I'm running and when I'm trying to stay in shape and keep my weight under control that that is going to solve all my problems and that nof- nothing nothing happen. But it it it's definitely a better precaution than doing nothing at all so it's a good reminder stress lifestyle uh moving enough it's super important especially if you have parents and 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 family members that also have heart problems then you know maybe an extra incentive for me to to take care of that all right in other news um we had our first debut of our our TV live stream. This was a new experiment that we uh, did. All that happened in this week. It's been crazy. On Tuesday, uh, for the first time, at least in in the history of my television show, which is about almost almost ten years old now, we're approaching the ten year mark this year. Um, we followed up the television show on on live TV with uh, live Facebook streaming. We built an entire studio. Here next door, it's in in the, the studio two here, uh, which I definitely should show you one day. Uh, it looks really really cool. It's been lit, and so we there's there's a bunch of new equipment, and we had to figure out how to do that, uh, and to uh, see if we can bring a uh, kind of an older audience because my TV show is is aired in the afternoon. So mostly older people, the people that are younger are are, are at work, uh, but anyway, to, if, if we could manage to bring them over to Facebook and of course with the support of of television that was pretty cool when i record my podcast i'm always streaming live but then i i just start the live stream and whoever is on Facebook at that moment in time in that the, the kind of a compatible time zone will hop online and may, may or may not participate in the chat room. But we're usually talking about, what is it, 20 people or something like that. For here we had immediately 50 people and, and it was a lot of interaction. A lot of people were asking questions and uh, participating. So um, a very cool experiment the, it was tricky. It took a lot of time to set up the the equipment. We kind of bought the the cameras and all the stuff, um, not knowing exactly if it would fit our needs. Um, because, of course, we couldn't do this with a webcam. It's uh, because everything we're also presenting the show, the television show from there. So it had to be a good situation. We would learn a lot uh, about what we needed and what may have to be replaced still. So. We'll have to see with the uh, company that gave, gave, uh, that delivered the, the equipment if we can perhaps exchange, for instance, the camera. I'm not at- entirely happy about the camera. It's a, it's a very professional camera, but the lens is not very fast. It's an F4, so it's kind of the same type of lens that you'd find on, on uh, let's say, cheaper DSLR cameras. But what I need, this is an inside stud- is a studio with only uh, artificial light. Um, And and I could see, I could tell that the lens and and, and the sensor of the camera were struggling with the uh, uh, small amount of light. And that is pretty important. So we'll have to go and see if we can replace the camera or replace the lens. I don't know. There's a small budget. So uh, we can't do everything. But, um, but that's definitely something. Another thing that I noticed is if I want to interact normally when I'm doing my podcast, I'm just looking at the at the Logitech webcam here in front of me, and I make it up as I go. In, in, and I, I, I go to the comments only after I'm done recording the podcast. With the TV show, the, the entire premise of the idea was that I would be able to interact with the TV audience and that they could ask me questions, etc. cetera. And, and that would be also the contents of the show. So in that situation, we need to figure out something uh, that enabled us to show those comments live on the screen. Um, And I totally forgot that well, you need to have a screen in front of you. So we ultimately ended up using a, a, a MacBook app or a Macintosh app or an Apple app. It's called a Duet, and, and it enables you to uh, hook up your, your iPad or whatever uh, tablet. It has to be an Apple Apple tablet to your um, uh, Macintosh computer. So in this case, we were using temporarily uh, an old uh, MacBook MacBook Air think that's what, what it was the small 11 inch they're not making that one anymore I think I, I bought it back then when I had to write uh, my book Geek Priest so I just basically needed something with a tiny screen that I could take anywhere very light well we used that added the the iPad and I was reading the comments we mirrored the screen the 11 inch screen on the iPad and then Inga was there as well Um uh making sure that only the, the good comments were coming up on the screen because of course it's an open chat room so people can do nasty stuff, you don't want that uh, uh, being displayed. So that was another discovery that I couldn't do this by myself like I'm doing now with the podcast, I'm just here by myself. Um, but for for this stream, for this live experiment, we needed an extra person, which immediately increases the cost of a production like that. So there are a ton of things that we're discovering while doing it, and it proves my theory that if you really want to do this well, you have to just begin You have to start doing it, fail, learn from your failure, as Yoda would say, failure, one of the most important masters it is, or teachers it is. That's in The Last Jedi. It's actually one of the best phrases, I think, in The Last Jedi, that failure is something that Luke Skywalker has to discover, that failure is a good teacher, is a very important teacher, Um, and that failing doesn't mean you have to walk away from things, But you have to just try again and try better. It's also something that we've learned uh, filming the, the the new talk show that we're doing for our Dutch Catholic channel. Van Vandaag, in case you're a, uh, Dutch, then you should definitely check it out. It's a weekly uh, talk show that we record on location. And in three weeks' time we've been lifting that to the level of something that looks almost like a television show. So I'm extremely proud of that first show. We did that with a webcam, like an old five-year-old Logitech webcam, and it looked terrible and it sounded horrible. Um, in three weeks' time, the the quality is already so much better, and it is because we've been messing around and failing and then, like, evaluating. and And that's, I think, in this field of work... It's what you should always do. Learn from your mistakes. It's something I think it's a life lesson. It's, we should always do that. Think about what went wrong and not react to that with with a sense of 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 uh, depression or depressed and and I, I'm not good for anything. No failure in in the, in this field is always helping you as long as you take the time to learn from your mistakes. And that's what we've been doing. So um, and of course another thing that we discovered was how. Incredibly valuable our experiences with live streaming, and and we would not have been able to pull this off without having done this for multiple years, and even the the interaction with the public. How do you react to people's questions? How can you turn um, online comments into content? The the, the um, let's say the ease that I have just talking to a camera. It's definitely not something that you can just. Do from one day to another. It's something that I've learned over the years while podcasting. And most of my podcasts, as you know, I, I have a general outline, but I don't write out my podcasts. It's I'm just talking. But I could do that now with the live stream uh, for TV because I've been doing this for ten years. One of the first times I'm doing it in Dutch, that was kind of like, I had to tell myself all the time, like, don't speak English, don't speak English. You're in a live broadcasting situation, but don't do your usual thing. <laughs> Keep in Dutch. So anyway, it's going to be interesting to see where this will take us in the near future. But I am happy that, that it worked out well. For me, the, the, the biggest challenge right now in the weeks to come is to make it more efficient. Because every time we have to prepare, like for the TV live stream, that took us an entire day to set up. Even the rehearsals took hours and hours. That is time that actually I don't have, nor has my team. So I'll we'll have to improve that. All right, let's talk movies and TV shows. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a moviecation. I'm going to give it to you. Now, of course, the thing to do on a Valentine's Day show like this one, again, recorded on February the 14th, <laughs> the day of love. Um, I should have prepared some romantic movies or whatever, but I haven't watched any romantic movies lately, <laughs> and so I'm just going to talk about stuff that I did watch, one of which is actually a very nice family movie that I, I'd heard about, but it finally uh, showed up on, on our European Netflix, and it's Paddington. It's a story about a little bear and his adventures in the city of London. And I have to tell you, I was not familiar with Paddington or with that with those books and those stories. It's just my youth was filled with with fairy tales, with all sorts of uh, uh, children's books. But Paddington, it's not. I don't think we had it in the library. We definitely did not have those books at home. So for me, the the whole Paddington thing was um, unknown. Uh, so I kind of skipped a movie when it was at the movie theaters there I think there was even like a sequel or uh, some sort of sequel where 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 the bear is uh, meeting one of the kids in the first movie that has grown up something like that um but i i, I kind of missed missed that entire story no actually that may have been another bear you have Pennington and you've got the other bear with the with the donkey and everything uh, whatever that's another thing that I'll have to discover but Anyway, Pennington was a most charming movie. It reminded me a little bit about the, uh, of the first Stuart Little movie. had that same color, the same vibe, the same chemistry between the real-life actors and then, of course, the CGI uh, animal character. And and it, it, in many ways, I almost I'm thinking almost like like the 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 Stuart Little movie is a bit of a riff on the original Paddington story. So it's about this bear grows up in the in the Peruvian uh, jungle or something like that. Is the, the, the parents are I think he's brought up by his uncle and aunt. They're visited by an explorer, and uh, that's the the hat that he wears is actually the hat that the uh, long time ago. Uh, belong to the explorer and then for some reason um, he's got to go on a or he's leaving home and the or the home in the jungle is destroyed and he leaves for London but he's brought up very very well behaved he's a a role model I think for 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 children in terms of of being polite and being kind Um, but then of course the city of London is not uh, as it as it appeared in in the children's books that the, that little Pennington used to uh, be read from, and so he he's got to find a, a new home, a new family, and then of course there's a a, a bad a, a bad lady in this case, uh, played by again by Nicole Kidman. This seems to be like the second week that I'm talking about an evil role for for Nicole Kidman. Uh, well. Nah, no, in Aquaman she wasn't evil, but she was kind of miscast. And I feel the same was true here. <laughs> she is not the most ideal person for this role. But anyway, she she plays a, like a Cruella de Vil type of, of uh, uh, evil lady that wants to uh, stuff Little Peddington and add uh, the bear to her collection. And that is kind of the... The main drive in the movie because Paddington himself is so kind, and the well, that there are some, some some tensions with the family that uh adopts him, but none of that really makes for a for a good dramatic story. And so, the addition of uh a lady that's out there to kill him is adding, I think, the necessary drama in but not uh, overdoing it. This is definitely a children's movie, a movie geared towards uh towards kids. But, well, my main uh the, the The main thing that I liked about this was finally we get we get a children's movie that dares to offer role models for good behavior and for being kind and being polite and you're so sympathetic to the way petting and, and 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 that contrast with the kind of um rough attitude of so many people in London that he meets and the um the, the the fact that nobody really seems to care anymore. And then you've got this kind Paddington that shows you that there is a different way to behave in this world. And I'm thinking that's an important lesson for kids to learn. We need more of these movies. Uh, maybe may sound a little bit old-fashioned, but, well, what's wrong with old-fashioned if it's good? <laughs> so I so highly recommend it if you haven't checked it out. I was already mentioning it in my intro. I've rewatched The Last Jedi, and it hadn't been a while. Last Jedi is also on Netflix in uh, in the Netherlands. Maybe one of the last times that we see Star Wars and Marvel movies on uh, our uh, Netflix uh, account, because, of course, all that is moving over to Disney once they're launching their streaming platform. But I rewatched The Last Jedi. Uh, one of the reasons was that I have a new TV, which is a 4K four TV. Uh, they don't sell non-4K uh, TVs anymore. And I wanted to check out what it looks like on a on a very high resolution screen. I don't know if Netflix is streaming that movie in four K, but it definitely looked like it. It was stunning, absolutely stunning visually. Since multiple months had passed since I watched The Last Jedi for the last time, um, I think it it helped me to reappreciate the movie on a number of, of uh, levels, and also to see the flaws more clearly. Um, and let me briefly—I'm not going to do a total rehash of of the Last Jedi—but in terms of storytelling, I think this movie is very well constructed. There is a good pace. There are very good transitions between the the the, the all the subplots. This, this classic Star Wars, in the sense that all these people that that came together in the first movie are now going on their separate adventures, very much like we we saw in Empire Strikes Back. There are more, more stories even in this movie than there are in Empire Strikes Back. But in the end, everything comes together again. And, and the way they jump from one story like The Training of Ray, to The Adventures of Finn to um, what's happening uh, with Poe Dameron and, and Leia on the Star Cruiser, etc. It, it really works. Well. It's well, well done. However, there are also flaws in this movie. And I see them more than, than before. For one, for, uh, my first point would be the movie feels small. Except for the very first opening scene with the attack on the big Star Destroyer. Um, That looks like classic Star Wars but then the movie very quickly becomes small in scale like you see, there's a lot of ray and luke on 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 the planet of whatever it was called um then we have the the kind of small location of the spaceship with the being pursued or like the the rebel spaceship being pursued by the big star destroyers um there's just not much going on. There's no, It doesn't move from planet to planet to planet. It's all happening in the same space. And then you've got this relatively small story of Finn uh, trying to, first of all, uh, make sure that that Ray will be able to find a tracker again and bring that tracker to a safe location and ultimately ends up in them trying to find the master coder who can um, uh, break the Empire's ability to follow the rebels through hyperspace. Um uh but that too is it feels a bit like Yeah, you, you could have told the same story but in a better way um it, it, i don't know it's it's um so it it's small uh it's also small in terms of it's fo- really focusing on the character development and on uh, on developing the, uh, the individual storylines of the characters instead of adding mythology to it there's there's not much that we discover in this movie, well, we discover, of course, what happened to Luke. But it almost feels like like what the prequels did. It explains a situation that you already are familiar with. Luke is on this remote island, and then this movie fills in why. That is the opposite of what what Star Wars originally did. And that is like, oh, we bring you to another planet. Oh my gosh, look at that ice planet and the hoth and the the attack. it's, it's some it's stuff that we had never seen before. Whereas in this movie, it's it's basically a rehash of stuff that we are already familiar with. Even a type of storytelling that we've seen in the prequels. And I want to see new things. The only kind of new element in The Last Jedi is that the Force is no longer uh, limited to people of the of the Skywalker bloodline. That seems to be the, the, the big narrative element that they introduce here to set up other stuff. Snoke, again, it's like, eh, you don't learn much about him. He's just being the... Kind of like replacement for the emperor, but there's nothing really new that we discover here. So, in that scope, in that aspect, it was also, in that respect, I should say, the movie feels small. We we don't. There's a lot happening in a movie. Feels like like they crammed like Empire Strikes Back and and, the, and a Return of the Jedi into one storyline, but it doesn't go beyond. And and I think that is probably something of the lackluster. ...feeling that some of the fans had. It's like, mm, I don't know. We we need to go. Star Wars should be more daring. Um, I personally had a gripe with uh, uh, Luke Skywalker's younger look. So, we see old Luke Skywalker. I think that was fine. He felt very kind of uh, discombobulated a bit. Uh, how'd you say that? Uh, uh, well, he's on an abandoned isla, remote island. He doesn't really take good care of himself... Um he's a bit of like a wild man. He's been out there too long. <laughs> he's he's been desocialized. Um but then at one point of course we see a younger version of Luke in his confrontation with Kylo Ren and I don't know the, the makeup, the beard, it just doesn't work. His eyes are weird. There's something about his eyes that feels old, like ba- badly lit the 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 scene that I hate it most visually um is is this this moment that Luke Skywalker and it comes back three times Luke Skywalker goes to face Kylo Ren one of his young students and things go haywire and that entire scene looks so bad and it, and it doesn't work and 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 then at the end of course you get this confrontation between Kylo Ren and this younger Luke Skywalker long whatever younger projection of Luke Skywalker and even there the 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 look of Luke is just not it doesn't feel right. It's like this is this feels like makeup. This feels like a, a, I don't know. It doesn't work. Um, and then the other thing that that I I don't well could feel that they could have done a better job is this entire empire chasing the or empire the new order chasing the rebels or the, the what's it called whatever the rebels <laughs> spaceship that looked like a Star Trek plot line. It's like, yeah, we, we they, they are staying ahead of us, so our cannons can't reach them, but we will kind of make sure that they run out of gas. And then that's what we're coming back to all the time. And it's like, okay, this huge Star Destroyer really can't keep up, can't? isn't faster than the, the Rebel ship? That doesn't make sense. And, 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 and it... It kind of gets old very quickly there's even visually it's like like the, the bad guys are on the left and the the good guys are on the right it's it, there's nothing creatively done there visually um and of course, my biggest gripe you are already uh, familiar with that is that Luke says tomorrow morning three lessons, and then we only get two lessons because they decided to cut out the third lesson I was like Dude, they could have dubbed it differently or they're trying to show something he can't. Promise three lessons and only give two. That is just bad, bad editing. So um, yeah, that's surprisingly amateurish. I think for a Star Wars thing. But on the whole, I have to say that the story—that's where most fans were criticizing Ryan Johnson. Like, I, this is not the Luke that we need. This is not what should happen. It should be more heroic. No, I totally think that Ryan Johnson made the right choices. I don't the execution could have been better but the story where it goes where it takes our heroes i think that is those are very good choices and 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 the, these choices needed to be made i don't actually think that there, that there that ryan johnson had much choice with the setup that we saw in uh in the force awakens i think that the third movie will wrap it up really nicely and i think it will make us understand better why uh ryan johnson made the choices that he made but i also think that jj abrams is probably better at bringing us back into that excited, you know, star wars vibe and giving us more like pushing the boundaries of star wars a little bit more. Not character-wise, that is what ryan johnson did. He made some very courageous decisions. But visually kind of eh, it's not entirely the star wars that we need right now or that's that's not how star wars works. Um but i think that that jj abrams can probably do both he can wrap up the story the the character stories and he can br- give it more of a star wars feel at least here's hoping and then uh, ultimately well that's that's it that's it for this story let's move over to the peculiar bunch hey it's valentine's day we need to talk about saint valentine <laughs> catholics rock Here at the Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know or didn't care about for Catholics, but you still need to hear. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? So St. Valentine's or Valentine's Day is the most secularized feast of a saint that I can come up with. And yet there's so much depth in it. Man... You guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. The online stores, the flower sellers, the chocolate factories have turned Valentine's Day in perhaps one of the most superficial feast days that we know. Um, It's using the most precious gift that we can give each other, love, into a Gift giving occasion where basically it's all about flowers and chocolate and and tacky uh, uh, cards that you send each other. Whereas the original uh, origin of the original origin, the origin of of Valentine's Day, is actually very beautiful. The story of Saint Valentine, because this is a Catholic feast, let's not give that up too quickly, um, is is a riveting story about a martyr. Uh, who gave his life for uh, what he believed in? And uh, a couple of years ago, I went on a on a discovery journey trying to find this Saint Valentine. Where? Who was he? Where did he live? And where did he die? And um, for that journey, which I recently uh, re edited into a new episode. Uh, for my TV show, I started here at the altar of my church, of my local parish church. Um, uh, The the, the Tridio Studios are located in the old rectory of uh, the the Church of the Holy Cross, which is not a very ancient church. It was built in the 50s um, because this was uh, like a newer neighborhood and there were a lot of new Catholics that wanted to go to church. And so they built this big church. It's not a very pretty church. But of course, it has all the. It was still built before the uh, renewal of the liturgy, so it's built as a classic Catholic church. And one of the documents that I found back is a document from the cardinal back then, the Archbishop of this diocese, who, uh, in, in that um, beautifully written letter, says, "I consecrated this church and its altar, which is of course the the, the most important element in any church, in any Catholic church." Um, to the honor of the Holy Cross, and I put two relics in the underneath the altar stone. One is of Saint Vincent, a martyr of Saint Vincent, and Saint Valentine. When I did that record the the, um, uh, the filming a couple of years ago, I left that out. Now my show, my TV show started with that. so i've I've shown the people where that relic of Saint Valentine is. a relic is basically a, a piece of of his bones. And that is the starting point of the journey. Like where else do they uh, uh, venerate St. Valentine? So I found uh, there's a church in the south of the country where each year they have a Valentine's procession. So all the, the parishioners go to a small chapel that is dedicated to St. Valentine uh, carrying candles. So this is very much kind of in the, in the same time of year uh, as Candle Mass. And so it's probably kind of linked that tradition to Candle Mass. They carry uh, uh, candles, they sing songs to St. Valentine. And that chapel, I discovered, is, is is very ancient. The chapel itself is relatively new, it was built in the 19th century, but on top of the remains of a chapel that may have been built for St. Villebroort, which was a uh, an English monk who came to evangelize the Netherlands. And it is said that uh, one of the places where he baptized the pagans back then, the Dutch pagans, uh, was at a source and a small chapel, and so it could very well be that that chapel was already dedicated to St. Valentine by St. Willebrodt himself, kind of the foundational, the founding father of, the, of Catholicism in the Netherlands. And historians have figured out, have found that uh, St. Valentine was actually very popular among these monks that came from from, from the north of uh, England, from Ireland, from uh, from uh, 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 from from this kind of middle part of England to these these regions, like Saint Boniface is another. We have a whole bunch of those monks that came to evangelize here, and they all venerated Saint Valentine. It's kind of beautiful. So, and from there we go to Rome, where I try to find the remains of Saint Valentine, and also to. Um, clear up this confusion of those many Valentines, because there are multiple saints and martyrs that are uh, uh, that we know of that are called Saint Valentine. So I wanted to know who is the real Valentine, and why did he become the patron saint of lovers? And I ended up, I think, f- at least I I, I have, a, 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 I think a, a good theory about the confusion of those Valentines, because there was a, one of the most well-known Valentines is a Bishop, and he was Bishop in Turney, which is about two, three hours away by train from Rome, um, and but then there is also a priest that lived in Rome, also called Valentine, also venerated as a martyr. And uh, for many historians, that was a kind of a reason to say, well, you know, there are so many Valentines; it's probably all mythological. It's it's, it's myth that we know too little about these guys. Sure, Valentine was it wasn't named Valentina's in, in in Latin. That was common at the time. And martyrdom was also something that happened a lot, but they probably kind of mixed up all these Valentines and created like a fictional Valentine. That's that's an argument that I heard a lot. may actually have contributed to the fact that Valentine is no longer on the current day uh, uh, liturgical calendar. So his feast day, even though it is today on February 14th, is no longer uh, uh, mentioned as a feast day that is celebrated in the um, International Church anymore. Um, Which is a pity because I believe that actually the priest, the priest that lived in Rome called Valentine and is venerated there as a martyr, is the same person as the bishop who later on died in Terni. And uh, I spoke with a few people for, for the documentary in Rome that I think made it very plausible that that is the case. Valentine, before he went to Tourney, before he became bishop in Tourney, was already very popular as a priest. He was a very well known priest, a very charismatic priest in Rome. Um, and so it makes sense that when, because he was so so good, so popular, after all, he, he was moved to Tourney to become a bishop. It's just a logical career for someone who's so charismatic. The confusion came from the fact that there was actually a catacomb in Rome which was said to have his remains. There's actually the skull of the, the, uh, the skeleton of, of St. Valentine is venerated in, in, uh, in Rome as well. And so people are like, well, well we also have uh, um, remains in, in Turni. What I think happened is that after he died in Turney, the skull and perhaps some other relics were moved back to Rome because they were still venerating him. He was still very popular over there. They hadn't forgotten about him. And that's how you basically have remains both in Rome and in Terni. So when I went to Terni, that's where I heard the story that um, again, he was a very popular uh, uh, bishop, but also very courageous. Back then, the emperor had uh, uh, ordered that his soldiers could not marry. Instead, they should dedicate basically 25 years of their lives to their army career and uh the r- rationale behind it of course was that if if uh soldiers have uh kids at home and and a wife well they're not going to have their focus on the war that needs to be fought so that was a logical rule but also very cruel because he was recruiting the emperor was recruiting young men and and these young men all kind of wanted to start a family and they had fallen in love and everything and so um, Valentine, Bishop Valentine was like that is not right and in secret he was preparing those uh, uh lovers um and and wed them in secret and then they would go you know in the, into the army and still leaving the family behind but that was ultimately what led to his arrest and to the murder on him uh, because Valentine uh, stood for what he believed in and that is that love and family uh, are more important than war and and a military career and that that emperor was uh was not you know was not following god's will when it comes to <laughs> what God wants for young people and, and and the importance of family and kids and so uh, that's ultimately why they beheaded him in the day of his beheading is basically the the feast date that we celebrate today and so the the uh, Franciscan monk who is now uh the head of the sanctuary in tourney told us that it's, it's it's quite interesting that uh, you would think that such a famous saint, that there would be a huge sanctuary there, but it's actually a small church. It's nothing special. And during the year when we were visiting, there were almost no people. And it's only kind of around Valentine's Day that they have a, the Feast of the Village. They have a procession, and then they've got a lot of people that come pray. And throughout the year, he said, it's mostly Japanese people. <laughs> it's probably in a lot of tour guides for Japanese pilgrims, and they come and pray. Uh, and leave intentions behind, but on the whole, it's like wow. I thought this would be a bigger deal. Uh, so, but anyway, it was a fascinating journey for me. And and then, of course, you know, it's not just because he was uh, helping these these soldiers to uh, to start a family uh, against the will of the emperor, but ultimately, he's also a martyr. So he gave his life for what he believed in. And Jesus says the greatest form of, of love is to give your life for your friends and for the people you love. And so that's, that's ultimately, I think, the, the biggest love that, that uh, he shows us and that he reminds us of. It's not just facilitating newlyweds uh, or, or uh, people that have fallen in love, but it's also realizing that love can actually lead to you giving your life and sacrificing your life. In that respect, every martyr does what Christ has done and follows Christ literally until martyrdom. And that is, that is, I think, a dimension of love that you will never see in our commercial version of Valentine's Day. It's all about chocolates and flowers, and it's a very, very superficial form of love. And, I mean, it's I have nothing against it. Love needs to be expressed, and if you are in love with someone who loves chocolate, then that is a nice thing to do. But always remind yourself, as a Catholic St. Valentine's celebrant, that... Um, It's about much more than that. And on this day, we should, I think, pray for Valentine's intercession that he will help us to uh, love each other with every consequence, even if it's sacrificing yourself, even if it is ultimately giving your life for that love and out of love. Um, And that is a heart, that's much harder than buying chocolates or flowers. (laughs) That's all I'm gonna say. (laughs) Let's talk books. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? Oh, reading. I love reading. I wish I had more time to read. But oftentimes with this this working schedule lately, I am so tired when I get back home. I even fall asleep just watching TV, let alone reading. But anyway, I still have yesterday read a little bit more of the Silmarillion. And what a great book that is. And I've explained, I think, before that I'm not reading the book. I'm listening to the audiobook version of it on Audible. And the narration is amazing. This is a hard book to read. Lots of names, lots of facts, lots of stuff that we're not familiar with because it's not part of the movies that we've been able to see. It's not the stories that we read as kids. Um, There's a lot of kind of backstory, back mythology, but the reading is so good that it works. And, And... it had been a while since I last listened to the Silmarillion, so I'd forgotten about a few of these, you know, Melkor and the Valar and whatnot, so I had to kind of rewind a little bit. But once I got into it again, I was like, this is genius what what Tolkien has done. And what I loved most, I'm like a little bit more ahead in Silmarillion now, is you get the first crossovers with the Lotro story, the Lord of the Rings story, and with the Lord of the Rings game that I'm <laughs> playing. Um... Because of course there are, there are all these elves and dwarves and, and humans are are migrating and traveling and there used to be part of Middle Earth that is now underneath the sea. Well, I'm saying now, but in the time frame of the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbits, it's, it's submerged. And uh, but there is also a part of of the let's say Middle Earth of the Silmarillion time frame that is still there, and it's the the kind of the. Most western part of Middle earth, and so the first time I hear about these mountains and about Beleriand, etc., like oh, okay, now we're getting closer to the stories that I know, and now I have more backstory, I understand better certain themes. And what I really love discovering is how much. Um, Tolkien was able to create this backstory explaining the behavior of of dwarves versus elves and 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 gives so much more depth to the story that we already know. So this is kind of the Silmarillion is the ultimate prequel in a way. It's genius what he does and he does it with so much more literary knowledge and know-how compared to for instance what what George Lucas did. I, I mean, I I appreciate what George Lucas tried with the with the prequels, but this is definitely um a superior class of, of, of prequel storytelling. So, if you have never read um, the Silmarillion, I can really recommend the audiobook version of it, and uh, and 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 perhaps even read it in conjunction with rereading Lotro and and uh, Lord of the Rings and and The Hobbit, um, because it will make you appreciate so much more what what he does in those stories. And then you always have to keep in mind that for for um, for Tolkien, this was all happening at the same time. He was writing these stories, but then he, he revisited the, the Hobbit story and the Lord of the Rings, made adjustments, started to create backstory, create languages, mythology. So for him, he could just move back and forth in time, trying to weave this, this tissue of, of, of this narrative tissue of of Middle-earth, of the world that he created. is world building that has no equal, I think, in literature. So amazing amazing world uh, work speaking of world building like the opposite of this is i just finished i forgot to talk about that in a tv segment i watched the the the, the third uh, movie in the divergent series like this um uh young adult novel series that was very popular and then they turned it into divergent and insurgents or Insurrection. Insur- insur- no not insurrection that's star trek and then um uh, elegion, Elegians, or allegiant and the third movie they ran out of money, and the the previous movie had not performed well at the box office, and so they they you can so totally tell it's oh such a letdown, it looks so cheap, and it's oh, oh it's a, looked like a bad television movie, and and then they kind of wrap things up, but the the, the movies don't go as far as the book goes, and now I'm like, should I read that last book? to figure, find out more about how things end. There's some loose ends that are left because they hope to make a fourth movie and that, all that was canceled and it will never be made again. Not even as a TV movie, which they originally planned. So it's kind of... Uh, and the world building is so flat. It's so simple, really. <laughs> I mean, I watched it because it's a bit science fiction-y. It's... Uh, the, the near future and the world is uh eh, it's it's like a like a superficial rip off of the hunger games and the hunger games are kind of already quite superficial I, I mean i enjoy the hunger games let's not there's no doubt about that it's pretty well done but eh, it's still young adult novels um i think these books will will soon be forgotten in one generation from now it's not it's not tolkien it's not even Rowling and and a harry potter saga but yeah entertaining we are on the cutting edge of technology wow well what does that mean let's plug it in it's going to say hey i see you've plugged in a new device and it's going to load in the appropriate drivers you'll notice that this scanner built whoa. It'll... well the, all your technology stuff it just ends in disaster but there is one more thing I have not one more thing. I have two more things to talk about here in this tech segment before we wrap up the show. One is a, 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 I told you I told you so topic. Uh, I've been saying time and again that Apple has a long-term strategy when it comes to augmented reality. And the phones, the iPhones, are part of that. You've noticed that the iPhones are not really revolutionary technology anymore. It's just an extra camera, slightly bigger screen, a slightly smaller notch. It's reiteration after reiteration, in it, and they are paying the price for that because there are a lot of manufacturers that are much more innovative than, than um, uh, Apple is at this moment. Uh, when it comes to the kind of the, the gadget side, I mean, I'm following uh, like this Chinese uh, cell phone builder, Xiaomi, um, hard to get. Expensive in the in, in the United States because of all the trade wars are going on right now. But but here in Europe, they're a, a bit easier to get. Um, and they do really amazing stuff with their phones. Th- those phones are technically superior to what Apple is doing currently and definitely more innovative. They just presented like a prototype of a, a folding phone, like a, with a folding uh, uh, screen. And I think it's one of the best versions that I've seen. And, and so Xiaomi is in terms of innovation stealing the show from apple and and that's i think why apple is losing so uh, bigly in <laughs> in china right now but one thing that apple is doing is on the inside it's, it's not the extra camera or the like revolutionary screen but it is what they're doing with the software and with the chip development you know that apple is developing its own processors and those processors processors are insanely powerful. They're way more powerful than anything that's available in the Android world. And everyone in every review now says, well, we've got these overpowered phones and overpowered iPads. But why? The operating system is kind of so-so and 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 you don't need all that power. So why is Apple doing that? And my prediction has always been Apple is paving the w- the way for AR technology where they will have glasses that are tied to the phone, and the phone is doing all the the hard work be- with their amazing software. Their AR software is without any parallel in, in in the Microsoft world, in the Android world. Apple is miles and miles ahead of everyone else in that field, but there is no useful application for that. I mean, I, I, I heard that IKEA has an app where you can project, like, the couch you want to buy into your surroundings and l- see how it looks, that app is not at all advertised, at least not here in the Netherlands, and I could know because I should know I'm a, I'm a, like a, the IKEA, they're my neighbors. I, I come there several times a week because they're my neighbors, and they have cheap food, um, and, and cheap, free coffee, let's not forget about that, and pretty good coffee for free. That's irresistible to uh, a penny pincher like me. But anyway, so... But we haven't seen any other application. There was the Lego app, but it's all kind of frivolous and not very serious. But I believe that Apple is is is, is developing the software platform for developers, so that the moment they have the AR technology ready, and Apple has said in the past, we are we know what we want. But the technology we're waiting for the technology to catch up. We need this to be lightweight, etc. But I think. They're closer than we than 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 we previously thought, and the confirmation of this is that last week Apple named veteran Apple uh, uh, cons- uh, person <laughs> I don't know what his previous job was Frank Casanova um, as the senior director of worldwide product marketing product marketing not development marketing which means they're ready to market something for augmented reality. This is the f- company's first position such position related to the burgeoning AR field the fact that they have put someone a heavyweight an Apple heavyweight in marketing and AR marketing to me tells me that they're on the verge of revealing their first new product line and I think it is going to be glasses I don't think it's going to be a headset because a headset is not what Apple wants they don't want us to look dorky they want us to look fashionable. This is, mind my words, this is going to be another fashion product where the most expensive AR gla- Apple glasses that you can buy will cost thousands and thousands of dollars because they will be gold plated and whatnot. And in no time, you will see people walking around, not just with these strange, like wireless earbuds, which they somehow were able to make fashionable even though I still think they look ridiculous. <laughs> Sorry to all of those of you that are owning them. But it they will make glasses that will look fashionable, and I think that you will see a lot of people carrying those glasses, and then they can sell them as regular glasses, pre- pre- prescription glasses, sunglasses. They can sell multiple pairs to Apple fans, but they will need the technology and the hardware that is in the phones to make it work, and this will be another cross, how would you say that, like a cross-pollination type of product. People will want this new technology that no one has been able to make it work so far, not even Microsoft with their HoloLens. But Apple knows how to run with this emerging technology and make it work and make it fashionable. And then everybody will want to have those glasses, which means you will have to have a phone, That's how they're going to sell their phones in the future, even though they're not on the cutting edge of phone development anymore. And they will not, I don't think they will ever be that in the future, but the phones, it's it's the hardware, it's the software that will be their unique selling point. The services, perhaps, perhaps the AR thing will be tied to a service. If it's so good that everybody wants to have it, why just sell hardware and give away the free software? They could give you an AR subscription. Like you pay 10 bucks a month imagine how much income that will mean for apple and they will they will, they will have that money regardless how much you use the, the 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 glasses they will have that no matter if you upgrade or not to the next pair of goggles you'll still pay that monthly fee so it's dependable income it's passive income for for, for apple the only thing they need to do is kind of make cool cool like a good platform and make sure that these developers are super excited about it so yeah i think apple is definitely working out a very different strategy to stay in the race than they have been doing for the past 10 years i think this will be pretty revolutionary mind my word and then the second uh thing that we need to talk about very briefly um because it's time to wrap up is the roadcaster pro now you know i've been a podcaster since the since the dinosaur times of podcasting, and I've used a lot of different technology, and right now it's kind of it works. I'm streaming live. I've been able to merge podcast recording with a simple form of of of, uh, of live streaming. I'm sitting in front of a green screen. I'm I'm able to both record an audio show, but also put the the audio into the the uh, the, the live stream. There are things that I can do with this current setup. I can't do Skype calls, for instance. I can't record the sounds coming from my computer. It's not possible. Uh, it's because I've got a very limited setup, and I, don't ha- I have limited space as well, and I don't have time to make that better. And, and even, if, even if I would get a bigger mixer and do the mix minus stuff, and it's a lot of hassle for a, a minor improvement of what I can do right now with this very, very simple setup. I'm using my phone right now for the jingles. It's super, super simple. However, I may do one more upgrade to my podcasting equipment, and that's the Rodecaster Pro. It's a device that is expensive. It's like $699 or something, almost $700. It's sold by Rode or developed by Rode, which is one of the best microphone brands out there. I have uh, several Rode microphones that I use for my uh, video uh, work. Um, But they have been talking a lot to the podcaster community and developed this. It looks like a mixer, um, but it also has these pads that you can press to launch jingles. It's got four XLR, very good XLR inputs with professional filters that make you sound like radio voices. There's the aural exciter and stuff that they use everywhere in the world in radio production. Um, the fact that this podcast sounds the way it does is because I've got a very expensive microphone. It's the uh, what is it called? The Hile. I'm reading. I'm reading. <laughs> the thing is on the top of the on the on the bottom of the microphone. Hile Pro. Hile uh, Hile PR40. I used to know all these things. I'm getting old. The Hile PR40, and that is a professional grade microphone. It has already uh, because of the coils inside a bit of a compression that's why my voice sounds like a bit more like a radio voice but with the this this uh roadcaster pro it can even upgrade cheaper phone fo- cheaper microphones it can uh, and there are a lot of they they really thought this out i watched all their videos and I'm like whoa they they definitely listen to podcasters so it makes it easy easier to do a podcast with four people at a table Um, They have all sorts of small details, like, for instance, you can can put microphone one on a sort of override mode, where if, if the presenter of a forum show, for instance, talks, then all the other voices get suppressed. It's one of the issues that a lot of podcasters deal with, for instance like movie podcasts or gaming podcasts and everybody starts is excited and they start yelling over each other and then the the main host cannot get things under control anymore and the sound is over modulating and everything it's really hard to listen to sometimes well this this roadcaster has a solution for that the other thing that i thought was a genius addition it's kind of like make it for me the must buy uh category is that they have two uh inputs for for phones and both of them are mix-minus automatically. And so you can uh, plug in a phone via Bluetooth or f- via the, um, uh, the connector. Uh, you will need like a hardware connection to your phone for um, the, uh, like the three pins connector. You can, you can buy those for USB-C type phones, or, uh, but, but you will need, probably need some kind of an extension uh, converter. But you can hook up one phone like that and you can hook us up a second phone over Bluetooth, and then both phones can actually run. You can make phone calls, so you can bring in people through a regular phone call, and it will. That person will not hear him or herself back. So it's mixed minus for that particular input output. And the same is true for the Bluetooth as well. You can you could launch like a Skype call. You can use uh, I don't know Slack for for audio. A, a lot of those digital communication uh, apps. Offer much higher quality audio than, let's say, a regular phone call. But even if you're calling people that aren't don't have access to their apps or they're just in a place where there's just a, a, a phone connection, you can still bring them into the show. And it's hassle-free. It's very, very well. And so it's also cable hassle-free also means cable-free. Of course, you need XLR cables. But if you look at the entire setup, it is so much cleaner looking and easier to focus on what you're doing than my setup where I have a little mixer there. I've got all sorts of cables that are going all over the place. I've got a separate recorder here on the table that I need to remind myself oh, I need to press it. The only thing that, of course, the the uh, Rodecaster Pro doesn't have is any video. Uh, you can't really launch like video jingles. That may come in the future when video, live presenting on video or live streaming is going to be more... Um, let's say commercially interesting for a, for a manufacturer like this. But even this, I can, I can see using this in conjunction with the software that I'm using on my computer to do the live streaming. Ultimately, ideally, you'd have a device that can do both audio and video, but then, of course, the cost would be even more expensive. So I'm currently thinking of getting that Roadcaster Pro to replace all my audio equipment here. And that will already simplify uh, the setup here. And it's also a device that I can t- can take with me when I'm recording the talk show because it's got four XLRs, which means I can, instead of doing a talk show right now, I'm using wireless microphones for the talk show. I only have two pairs and they're very expensive. These, these, these Sennheiser sets are hundreds of dollars a piece a, or a pair, um, are there a hassle to connect to uh, like a mixer I'm using, the Zoom H5 to mix those and it's hard to monitor and there are lots and lots of downsides of doing it that way. If I could bring this R- roadcaster with me, I could have talk shows with four people at the table. That is going to make for even a more impressive end product uh, than we are currently able to do. So that would be my tip. Check it out if you're a, a budding podcaster or an experienced one. If you buy one, um, we have a link on the Tridio website if you go to support us I think then on the bottom there's a link to the Amazon store we don't we don't do advertisements normally I don't want to uh, talk too much about it but if you if you want to buy something at Amazon there we have an Amazon link uh, in the support us section if you click that We'll get a little bit of revenue on that, and that um, actually, I'm using that to buy new books that I can discuss here on the show. That's all I'm. We're getting a gift card from 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 Amazon from time to time, so it's it's, it's very very small uh, the the uh, uh, revenue that we get from from there. every once in a while, someone will go through that link, and that will enable me to buy new books to to review here on the show. So it's ultimately all going back into what serves you as a listener. That's it for this episode of. Uh, of my podcast. Go check out everything else that we do over at Tridio.com and check me out on Facebook. I'm Father Roderick on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. Anything else I'm doing? I don't know. No, probably not. Thanks to my patrons for supporting us, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Take care and God bless.